Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Where do you want clarity? Enjoy. I have three beautiful children, Caden, Bryce, and Bella, seven, six, and four now. We just had a big birthday week. Oh, there we go. It's classic, right? Caden's the oldest in the back. He's, he's like the rock holding everything up. Bella is taking the center of attention, and Bryce just wants to smooch everybody. So <laughs> just his personality. It's beautiful. The, my children are probably my greatest teachers because they teach me a way of being. I'm a good Enneagram 3, so I want to live in a world of doing. It's how I avoid my emotions, and it makes me feel better because I'm not feeling anything. That's better. But my children force me into a way of being because I know that's where transformation actually happens. I grew up in a home that was aggressive. I grew up in a home that was abusive. And so a value that I loved in other people that I rarely saw in the home that I grew up in and I often didn't see in myself was gentleness. Oh, man, even like saying that word, that's how you know. I craved gentleness. I craved being held. I craved comfort. And gentleness is hard for me. I'm not natural at it. I'm not good at it. My wife is like a fluffy cloud and an angel and just like leaks it. So that's nice. Married well. Choose, choose well. But for me, it's been something that I've had to learn over the years that I want to do, that I want to correct, that I want to figure out. But so often what my kids need is just gentle presence. They just need somebody to sit there and to hold them as they cry, as they're enraged, as they're figuring it out. They just need somebody to be present with them, to get curious with them. And it's a lifelong lesson for me. I am not good at it. I would rather find a solution and coach our way through this problem. But we all have different strengths. And what I love about the life of Jesus and really how I see Jesus interacting with people and really how I see Jesus teaching his disciples is that Jesus shows people a way of being, that Jesus transforms our way of being in order to radically, cha- tra- in order to radically change our way of doing. Let me try to say that again. Jesus transforms our way of being in order to radically change our way of doing. For many of us, we grew up in the world of church where we were taught to do things. Read the Bible, pray, go do certain spiritual disciplines, that in doing those things, God will somehow bless you. That if you do this cause, then you will get this effect. But the way of Jesus that I see with his disciples is a way of being and a way of transformation. And what I see in that is that it's a way for humanity to find clarity. Is that I believe that Jesus is constantly taking us on a journey, constantly giving us a bigger vision of who God is and a bigger vision of what it means to be human and that that process happens in being and we call that thing clarity. And so to order to talk about clarity, we gotta talk about some things. 
We're going to talk about being and doing. Then we're going to talk about the 11. And if we can talk about the 11, then we're going to talk about 4K Jesus vision. I'm not even technologically cool, so I don't even know if 4K is even good anymore, by the way. It might not be. Right? I know that you were technically like, that's bad. That's like, it's, like, it's like looking at an Atari, I guess. Okay, great. Uh, then if we can talk about 4K Jesus vision, which is clearly outdated, then we're going to talk about the map. And if we can talk about the map, then we're going to reclaim some things. And if we can reclaim some things, then we can talk about the big three visions, I think, that we each all have in our lives. Then we need to name it. And if we can name it, then we can put some commitments around it. We can own that failure is just okay and part of the process. Then we can talk about the importance of others and that this is actually a thing called faith. Follow along with me in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's go old school. In old school liturgical churches, anytime they would read from one of the Gospels, everyone would stand. So stand with me. If you're at home, go ahead and stand. This is just a, you know, why not? Let's just all be in this thing together. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. I didn't even grow up in a liturgical church. You guys did fantastic there. That's good. I grew up evangelical. We have, I had lasers on right now, you know? Come on. You may be seated. Who we see being invited into this part of the story is the 11, that these were the people who had experienced something. That's what it's trying to say. There's some maturity and there's some wisdom taking place here, that the full story had already taken place. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and these are the final words. And who hears the final words are the 11. It's the people who've been around, who've tasted, and who've smelt, and who've experienced a life, a way of being of who Jesus was. That's important to me for a lot of reasons. That for many of us, we're just told to go do some things, and that's what's going to lead to change. But how many of us right now are constantly retweeting and reposting all of the things that we are passionate about online? Is it leading to change? Probably not always. There's probably some type of, uh, right, a sound tunnel? What's the thing called? You guys know what I'm talking about, where it's, you just keep repainting. What's it called? Hey, thank you so much in an echo chamber. My brain was like, I know it's a thing. I can't find it. There's an echo chamber that's out there. The way of Jesus, though, is a way of transformation about our being. So Jesus invites disciples into the process, and the literal story is, is that three people go with Jesus as Jesus is subverting all of the things to subvert in this world. As Jesus is radically healing, as Jesus is radically transforming, Jesus is not sitting people in a seminary classroom and teaching them Greek and Hebrew. And this is how we exegete second aorist and pluperfect words. And now go fulfill justice in this world. No! Jesus says, come and follow me, and I want you to experience some things. You know your racial bigotry and hatred that you have in your world? Let me take you into the home of the Samaritan. You know all the people that you think are sinners? I want you to be there when I draw a line in the sand and I say, hey, if you've ever sinned, then go ahead and throw the first stone. 
I want you to be there when I topple religious systems. I want you to be there and to experience it when you thought that that person could never be healed, that their chains were too much, that I free them, that all of the legions leave them. And I said, you have life. I want you to be there as I sit next to a woman at a well who everybody said wasn't human anymore. I want you to be there when the government, the most powerful empire that the world had ever seen, that when they take my life, you'll realize that even here there will be resurrection. This is what Jesus invites us into. Some things just can't be said. Some things need to be felt and to be experienced, that you need to be there in this path of transformation. And there's no timetable that's appropriate for this. Each of our journeys are different. Each of our experiences are different. And Jesus invites us into a process of transformation in which we are radically changed, in which we experience a new way of being. Without a new way of being, it's very hard to live into a new way of doing. And that Jesus invites us into this world so that we would have clarity. Clarity of who we are, clarity of who God is, clarity of where we're going as human beings. That in this story, Jesus invites them to a mountain in Galilee. And as good readers of the Bible, which I know each of you are, you're already queuing in on this like any good Jewish audience would have done 2,000 years ago. That important things happen on mountains, right? Isaac was about to be sacrificed on a there you go. Moses went up to get the commandments on A. Elijah prayed to God and heard God on A. You guys are good. You passed the test. That things happen on mountains. That when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, it was on A. And then here at the end, when Jesus is giving his last words, they're on A. Oh, mountains. I know that God's doing something new here. That God's telling us a new story about how things are going to be. But this wasn't a mountain in Jerusalem. This was some no-name mountain in Galilee. That God's saying, if I want to do transformation in your life, it doesn't have to be just in those places. I can do transformation anywhere. In fact, I can do transformation in the least expected places. That's how I'm going to do transformation. And then it wasn't 12, because there was 12 tribes of Israel. There were 11. It's saying, oh, I'm doing a new thing. You thought it had to be this way. You thought these are the things that you had to do. This is what your religious system taught you. This is what church said needs to happen if you're going to experience healing. This is what society told you is correct or right. Not here. It's going to be 11. It's going to be a different way of being. That these people have all experienced something. That they've soaked something into their bones, into their DNA. That they've tasted at a cellular level. And what I love about the 11 is that the people who've experienced it all, the people that are there in this last moment on the mountain, they worshiped and they doubted. Oh, that feels fresh. That feels like something I wasn't given when I was a kid. They were able to experience something powerful and name it and say, I want resurrection in every aspect of my life. I want injustices to be made right. I want there to be healing. I want to want to believe that this is a path for my humanity that can work, that can heal the world, that can transform the world, that can mature the world. But sometimes I just don't know. Sometimes I feel like my prayers are going on deaf ears. Sometimes my life just isn't changing. Have you been there? 
that this scripture allows for the fullness of all of these stories so that we can have clarity of vision for who we are and where we're going. And as the story goes on, it says that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that it's a way of saying that as Jesus has been resurrected, that there's going to be some fresh things that God is doing in the world. There's going to be some fresh forms of transformation out there, that there's a fresh new perspective and vision for who humanity can be. That we don't have to be the system where violence is our ultimate answer. We don't have to be a system where we tear everything down. That we can be a system that allows our pain to be transformed. And in that, we don't transmit it in the same ways that it was given to us. And so Jesus invites us into a new way of being. And here's the areas that Jesus gives clarity. It says, go and make disciples and baptize them, which is just some old school language that I think that we can make fresh for today in a different way as each of us are thinking about clarity for our own lives. That Jesus is offering this grand scheme vision for what it means to be human. That at the end of the day, the message of Jesus is to love God, to love yourself, and to love others. But Jesus teaches us that by not asking you to read six books. Jesus teaches you that by asking you just to simply be human. To go through all of the emotions. To go through all of the experiences. To find somebody who you actually hate. Right? And then as you hate them, to go through the process of beginning to have to see them as human again. That's what really being human is about. That we go through all of these things together and it could never be done in a book. It needed to be done in a process of transformation. So when Jesus says, go make disciples and go baptize them, he's telling the people who've experienced all this and says, you have something now to offer the world. You can't give what you don't have. If you haven't experienced these things, it's very difficult for you to pass it on. I say this all the time. We were all once sophomores in college and we knew better than everybody. I certainly did. I had read seven books on the Bible and couldn't wait to tell my pastor all that he didn't know. I was so happy to tell my parents I took one psychology class and you people are idiots, right? Sometimes we're not ready to share our experiences. Sometimes our experiences, we have to sit with them. We have to sit with this transformation and this new way of being. And as it works on us, as it does something deep inside of us, as we undergo this process that is unique to who we are, then through a little bit of time and through a little bit of experience and through a little bit of a process, then we have something fresh and new to say into the world. And so the message of Jesus, the clarity that Jesus keeps giving us is, yes, this is the big vision for every single human being, to love God, to love self, and to love others. I'm going to show you that way of being. But that's just so 30,000 feet and so giant and so big, sometimes it's hard to get our minds around or it's hard to get really specific on that. What I believe, though, is that for each of our lives, we all have an area of vision that we want clarity on. For most people, it's big three areas. You want clarity of vision for your health, you want clarity of vision for your relationships, and you want clarity of vision for your vocation. For your health, maybe you want some clarity, and it's emotional, it's mental, it's physical, or it's spiritual, and it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to sit in the process of who you are and to do the really hard work of that transformation. It just takes time, and you gotta be gracious to yourself in that process, and you gotta be gentle to yourself in that process. That for many of us, we want clarity in our relationships. Maybe it's an intimate relationship. Maybe it's 
relationships like friendships. Maybe it's a work relationship. Maybe it's a relationship to systems or ideologies that we take time to find clarity on who we are and who God is making us to be, that we need clarity in these ways and we're gonna trust that God is doing something fresh here, something new here, that God's gonna allow some things to die and God's gonna resurrect some things and God's gonna give us a new vision for how we relate into those relationships. And then for some of us, we just want clarity around our vocation. First of all, we're Americans, so work is probably overly important for most of us. But maybe it's not vocation because of the money that you're going to make or where you want to spend your 40-plus hours a week. Maybe vocation for you is oriented in purpose. Maybe it's oriented in a deeper meaning of who you are, but you want clarity around those things. What I see in this message of Jesus at the very end on a new mountain with uh, these 11 transformed people is a message of name the vision that you want. Name the thing that you are looking for clarity on. In this story, Jesus is naming the process of discipleship. Jesus is naming the path of transformation, and he's naming it to a group of people who have gone through their own path of transformation. And so as you're sitting there, as you're following along online, maybe you're asking yourself right now, what area of vision am I looking for clarity on? Where have I been sitting in my life asking for change or for transformation or for movement, and I would love more clarity here? I see a lot of heads nodding because we're just human beings and we're all overly busy and we're all overly distracted and we're all overly a lot of different things. And I believe that this is a story in a moment where we get clarity on something new, where we get to say, yes, that Jesus is the map that's leading us into our greatest human experience. And as we're clear on who we are as followers of Jesus, it helps bring clarity in all of the other important areas of our lives. That if we can name clearly what we're about, then we can begin to put some commitments around it. I do coaching, and I've been coached uh, by a coach for a while, and I love the process. For me, it's like discipleship, but you're bought in because you're paying, unfortunately, way too much money, right? And so you're committed to it. You're committed to this clarity because you're wanting it. And in this process of clarity, I came to a place about a year ago, as I have other jobs and other businesses, including being a pastor, and I had too many things going on. But every time that I would be in this process of clarity, one thing kept coming back to me. I love being a pastor. I feel called to being a pastor. I feel called to being a pastor of this community. It is a gift to me to have founded it. It is a gift for me to continue to be here that each and every one of you create a sacred space. As other opportunities have come along, as money has come along, as other businesses have succeeded, I keep coming back to the reality that I love pastoring. And a vision that I have for myself in the clarity of my own mission statement as I've been trying to name it is this. I want to be, I am, excuse me, present tense, I am the most well-regarded pastor because I help people feel known, loved, and celebrated. That's clarity for me. I don't care if I'm well-regarded because of how many people come come on a Sunday. I don't care if I'm well-regarded because of how many books I'm gonna write. I don't care if I'm well-regarded for these other things, but I will judge myself at the end of my life. I will have clarity of vision for who I am and where I'm going if the people around me are known, loved, and celebrated. 
And so as you think about the clarity of vision for your life in any area, name that thing. Get specific with yourself and say, this is the thing that I long for in the world. This is how I want to treat my health. This is what I want this relationship to look like. This is the type of purpose that I want to take on. This is how I'm going to tackle injustices. Allow that thing to sit with you and move in you and change you and heal you and transform you. And then we put some commitments around that thing and we get as specific as humanly possible. A year ago, I set out to go run a marathon. And you're crazy if you decide I'm gonna go run a marathon and you train for a month. You will die. <laughs> you give yourself ample amount of time to go 26.1 miles. And so what you do is you start one day by making incredibly specific commitments to who you are and the type of being that you wanna be. And you don't do some audacious thing. You say, today at 10 a.m., I'm gonna walk for a half a mile. Today, when one of my kids loses their minds, which they will, can I breathe for 10 seconds before I respond to them? Can I check in with myself and get curious and say, God, I need gentleness right now before I respond to them? I don't do it every time but I wanna learn and grow in my way of being so that in the doing of everything else that I do, the world's a different place. So you name the thing, the vision that you're looking for clarity for. Put some specific commitments around it, start small. Jesus is saying, go baptize them, which is old school language for saying, these people took their following of Jesus incredibly seriously, that in the ancient world before you got baptized, you would fast the entire night before. There was months ahead of ritual. You would go naked into the river as a means of showing the world that you're literally fully exposed, that you have nothing hidden, that you prepare this whole way of being so that you can go do differently in the world. And so we create specific commitments around ourselves to say, I, there's a way of being that I want to be different so that I can do differently in who that I am. And as you're actually doing some things, as you're actually allowing these things to work on you, make room for failure. Isn't that a powerful part of the story of discipleship of Jesus? These 11 are sitting there and they're like, my boss was just killed by the Romans, which is a story of failure, how they perceive the story. In their version of the story, they had a king who was gonna come, conquer, and whoop some butt, right? And that's not the version that they got. I'm always grateful in the stories of Jesus. There's constantly room for failure. There's constantly room for figuring it out. There's constantly a narrative and a pathway that is about an imperfect process. You don't have it all figured out today. It will take time to reach your marathon. Today, I did not magically wake up and I am the perfect, gentle father. Can I be more gentle? Gentler? I believe so with every ounce of my being. And if we can name some failure, then we recognize that we don't do this thing alone, that we need others in the journey with us. The powerful thing about the story of Jesus and the story of discipleship is that it's always rooted in community. It's not a story of just some individuals. Jesus is not there like the matrix and downloading all of this information into one person's head. This is a story about a bunch of people who have experienced something together and corporately they're figuring it out together. Corporately they're getting clarity on who they wanna be and what they wanna be about. Corporately they're making some commitments to the type of human beings that they wanna be in this world. Corporately they're failing together. Man, doesn't that sound nice? that you get to share in the full capacity of your being with other people. And then finally in the passage we see that Jesus says, I will be with you always. That's the component of faith. 
Maybe you hear these words that God is saying, I'll be with you always, but you don't believe it. What if God's saying, I get it. Oh. Give me a second, Dornies. Give me a second. As I think about what you shared, as I think about the names of people that you read, who are dead, whose families will never get to see them again. How many people those moments where it feels impossible to believe that God is actually with us. It's those moments that we will need one another. It's those moments that we call faith. When we have nothing left, when we hope to hope and want to want that there could be something more. It's through naming who we are and what we want in this world. It's through the specificity of the commitments of the type of people that we wanna be. It's through owning our failures and getting clarity on what's working and not working and that's okay and being gentle to ourselves. It's through living this life with other people and the clarity of their lives and the clarity of our lives informing one another. It's through faith that we find clarity, that we have hope, that we can trust even when we feel hopeless and there's nothing to trust in. That I believe that God is inviting us all into a process of clarity that I believe that God is inviting all of us into a process of transformation and into a new way of being. And it is through that clarity and through that new way of being that I believe together in New Abbey, we will do some new things in this world that will bring healing. You're gonna get back in those groups with one another and you're gonna answer this question. What specific steps can you take towards clarity? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.